Hello and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of Rallon's Rants. Today I am joined by Jared Reddick, who is the lead singer of Bowling for Soup, who you may know for their singles uh, such as 1985 and Girl, All the Bad Guys Want. So without giving too much away with the introduction, Jared, how are you keeping today? Everything's good, man. I, uh, you know, just busy morning talking about music and, you know, things to come over the next year and finally starting to get to talk about doing some shows again. So things are, things are good. So the light's getting brighter at the end of that tunnel, which is good to hear. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's, you know, I know how disappointed fans are and, and, you know, how just ready and hungry people are to see some live music. And all I can say is, is that I know from myself and for (laughs) all of my friends, we're, we're just as eager to get out there. Yeah. And to, to, Take it back to the beginning, so to speak. Basically, a question I always like to ask musicians or maybe even actors or people in that kind of industry is there's always a reason you get into music, whether it's picking up an instrument, hearing a song, someone in your family being like, learn this instrument, learn the piano, whatever. Was there a particular person or a moment back at your early age that inspired you to pick up a guitar or start the piano or just take up something music related? Absolutely. And my story is one of those that's, it used to be way cooler than it is now. (laughs) Um, You know, my, my family was, was always really into music. We listened to music all the time in the car. And so I grew up in a, and and we spent a lot of time in the car. And uh, so grew up, you know, with parents that just sang the whole time and, you know, I would join in and, and really learn to harmonize in the car. But, you know, I, I'll never forget the feeling, the moment. And uh, it was very long time ago um, in, in the uh, in the 80s. I guess it would have been around 83 or so, 82, 83. A uh, kid named Greg Norman played me Crazy Train by Ozzy. And I, I'll never forget how it felt. And I was just like, okay, well, this is what I want to do. And the funny thing about that story is, is that, you know, it literally changed my life that day. And Ozzy was the devil back then. Everybody was scared of him. And you certainly wouldn't, you know, have little kids. Uh, you certainly wouldn't have a, a kid's movie trolls Two singing his song. <laughs> oh, crazy train. Yeah. It in, uh, and, and now it's on TV commercials for cars and it's at every sporting event and all of this. And then, you know, and he's a bumbling, bumbling you know old bastard on a on a tv show and it's just like you know you you have to realize what the juxtaposition of when i say crazy trade now versus what it was even 20 years Mm. ago you know like people would be like oh okay i get it now people are like what like that song you know that's like literally so overplayed it's great so but but it is true i just the all aboard and then just the laugh and that guitar riff and then just how it drives and the bass guitar and, and just I'll never forget just hearing his voice for the first time. And, you know, I had the bug. I instantly came home and I was like, I want to be a drummer. I want a drum set. And my dad was like, yeah, right. And I ended up getting one for Christmas and the rest is history. It certainly is. And I'd say a, a few years after that, you met a lot of your bandmates and created the band Bowling for Soup. And there's a lot of stories like when people start off touring and like i'm a, I'm a huge um, fan of your band i'm a huge fan of the the genre even the likes of blink ray two green day massive sure. massive bands for me 
And I always admire, and it's even now, like I was recently listening to Mark Hoppus on a podcast and he was speaking about how he doesn't ever forget his humble roots, as in there was a time where they were, quote unquote, slumming it out in the back of a van. Mm. And you starting out in Texas, like it mustn't have been easy because now it's pretty much, oh, if you've got a great pop song, you can be an internet sensation in the space of 24 hours Mm. and have this polished product by the end of the month. You had to do a lot of grafting, I'd imagine. And like, do you remember any of those? Well, I'm sure you do, but the first few weeks or few months or even maybe first few years of touring where you could have been in a bar playing in front of a wild cat and an 80-year-old drunk at a bar. Like, is there any moments like like that that stand out? I mean, we did nine years in the van. Um, And, uh, you know, the first six of them were before we signed to a label. And it was all about survival. And then we signed for the label in uh, in 2000. And those next two years um, would be the hardest years of our lives because you're playing a lot of shows for free for radio stations and things like that. And there just was no income. Mm. And, you know, in, when we were playing in Texas, we could draw a lot of people. And we could make a little bit of money. But, you know, getting off to um, going to San Jose, California, and literally three people pay to get in, you know, and, and – so yeah, it was rough, and and yeah, I agree with Mark. I think you know one of the things about that, the Van days is is that that we look back on those as you know some of the best times of our lives. A lot of times when you hear a story from us, it, it will be something from the Van days. Um, you know, we we lived in that thing. We we would be gone six eight months at a time as before we had kids and before we had you know even pets and wives and so. We could, it was just us against the world. And, uh, and sometimes it felt like that, you know, and, uh, definitely just trying to get yourself noticed and, and, uh, you just play wherever you wanted. So if we didn't have a show on a certain day, we'd go into a record store and ask them if we could play. We'd go into, I'd go into a bar and just say, Hey, do you guys have a PA? Do you want a band tonight? We'll do it for 50 bucks, four cheeseburgers and a case of Miller Lite. You know, I mean, um, but that was life and, and it, it definitely taught us to value what it is we have now with, with such an amazing fan base and not to take any of that for granted. And, no. Um, you know, just, you know, it, it definitely just made us stronger people and, and, you know, it gave us the ability, you know, you know our relationships in Bowling for Soup are very different from most other bands. I mean, in other bands you have guys and they're there and we're, they're, they're, they, they're maybe their best friends. A lot of times they hate each other. You know, sometimes they, uh, you know, they have their differences. We are literally closer than brothers. Like we, we don't even like to be apart. So when we're on tour, mm. like you, you can show up at the airport. This happens all the time. And somebody, they'll show up at the airport with two vans and they'll be like, you guys can spread out however you want. We're like, no, just put all the gear in that one. And we're all getting in this one. You know, we don't like to separate. Yeah. And it's, uh, that's by design. And, uh, you know, that, that's, we, we just, uh, we really do love each other. So, so, you know, you asking about those early days. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it happened pretty quick. We, we got together because a, a, two bands disbanded. And so we already had some songs that we could borrow from each of those. So we had an album out in three months and, uh, I'd say, you know, six months later we were on the road and then just, you know, nonstop until we finally, you know, had some success and were able to, to stay home a little bit here and there. Yeah, and no, well said. And you were saying how 
when the labels came in, everything changed with regards to radio shows and exposure. Mm. And it was probably yeah, around the 2000 uh, period. That's when like the bitch song came out and you started getting tastes of mainstream success. And I'm always fascinated because the music industry, and you'd know much more about this than I do, but like from an outsider looking in, it has just evolved in an absolute crazy fashion in the last even 20, 30 years where like I'm sure record labels have maybe less power than they did 20 years ago. Live shows are where the income's at. The fan loyalty is absolutely huge. And then the concept even of an album, one of the best things I had as a teenager was looking forward to when Blink's new album was out and listen to it start to front. Now people Mm -hmm. just go, no, no, I'll just take that one song I like and I'll just put that on my Spotify playlist and forget the other 10 songs. But when you started out and got signed to that label, like what was it like to be a band? Because as you said, you're with your best friends. They were essentially family to you. You slummed it Mm. out in the back of a van, stinking of farts and God knows what takeaways, you know. And then Mm. to get that opportunity that everyone dreams of who starts a band, it's always that pipe dream that only the lucky few get to experience. But when that label took you on, you had an album or two, And then on the third album, I think it was that you got the big success, big breakthrough. What was that like to be a part Mm -hmm. of going from, you know, zero to hero in the space of a year or two, especially with your best friends? Well, even there, I mean, it was a, it was a journey. I mean, the, 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 the truth is, is that, you know, growing up in the eighties and listening to, to metal, you know, you, you, that was the original sort of like hip hop, you know, where Mm. I just thought that we would get signed to a label and they'd show up with a truckload of money and they, and we would just, and all of our dreams had come true. And then we were supposed to do a bunch of drugs and go to rehab. And, you know, that's, (laughs) that's the way that it all worked. And unfortunately it wasn't like that at all. It was, you know, we got, we, we, we put out, let's do it for Johnny in 2000 and it did not do well in the United States. Um, it caught on in the UK and, uh, this is one of those, you know, one of the craziest things ever was that we were playing at South by Southwest, a huge music festival in Austin, Texas back in 2000. And there was nobody at our show. I mean, literally there were a few people standing against the walls, but we just got up there and did our thing. And it's one of those deals where you're like, you never know who's watching you because yeah. the person watching us was Steve Homer, who was promoting Reed and uh, Reading and Leeds Festival that year. And the next thing we know, we're playing Reading and Leeds Festival, and so our label kicks it over to a uh, uh, Music for Nations, which was a little boutique label in the UK, and they take it to Radio One, and Radio One plays Summer of '69, and then the bitch song starts to to get some traction on Kerrang and and uh, the other stations. And so, honestly, you know, for us, we we're over here playing to no one in the United States, and we're blowing up in the UK. And it was just a very weird time. We were able to come over and tour a few times and really get a taste of of it, but. It, it wasn't that we that we just knew that our future was was paved at that point. We we still had a very unsuccessful album, and and so followed that up with Drunk Enough to Dance and Girl the Bad Guys Want did immediately well in the UK, but didn't do well here uh, for about a year. And then when it blew up here, then at that point it started to get to where I was like, okay, we can breathe a little bit. But you know, uh, and why do sorry to interrupt you? Why do you think why do you think that happened? Um, I think, I think definitely, you know, I've, I've thought about this quite a bit. I mean, first of all, you know, we're a humorous band 
Um, and we're able to laugh at ourselves. And, um, you know, I think the comedy aspect of our band really caught on in the United Kingdom. Um, you know, and I think that, you know, it, it was just, it was just one of, plus the fact that we just had a song out there that said bitch and bitch isn't really a word that you guys use over there very much. And so, no. you know, not, not as much as we do, like here, you can't say cunt, like you <laughs> literally like you, they'll put you in prison for that. I mean, I'm, I'm joking, but it's crazy. But, and, and so, but bitch, you know, you just throw it around like whatever. Um, but, you know, I think it's a combination of all of it, but we, but we definitely, you know, we just had some great, a great stroke of luck of, you know, um, being at Reading and Leeds Festival and then being able to follow that up with a, with a small club tour that did really, really well and then open up for Sponge on our next time over. And then after that, we were just headlining, um, you know, but, but yeah, I just want to go back to something you asked in the, cause you, there was, a, there was a lot to your last question. I know. Um, I'm sorry about the uh, no 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 you're good i just want to make sure that i that i get that in but you were talking about just how, uh, how the evolution of music of, of music and the role of the label mm. and it's so crazy because you know you have to, you have to think about it like this today the biggest and most the biggest money maker for artists which they do complain about a lot but artists and labels right now is streaming and streaming did not even fucking exist 15 years ago. Yeah. It, it didn't, it, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it wasn't even a thing. So, you know, and, and I, my math may be wrong. Maybe it did 15 years ago. The point is, is that you, you have like us, we signed a contract in, uh, in, two, in, in 2000. We were still selling cassettes and CDs and, you know, you, you would put out a limited deal of LPs, but like nobody really would buy vinyl back then how things have changed just so quickly and over the years and so many times, you know, I think is, is pretty freaking crazy. Um, you know, when you look back at just the history of things, but, um, you know, it just makes you wonder, it's like, you know, what's the next thing? Because it's not like CDs existed in 1985, you know? And then, you know, so, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been a, uh, it's been definitely one of those things where, the labels have evolved and, and you know, your mindset as a band has to evolve too. And, and if you can't keep up, then you sort of just end up aging out of it. I think, you know, it's, it's really hard to get some people our age to really focus on social media and they're very, um, they fight that yeah. a lot. And even some new artists are like, why can't I just write great songs? You know, like they used to. And it's like, man, that ain't enough anymore, man. You just, you know, Unfortunately, you part of your gig is sharing a photo of your breakfast. <laughs> it better be a good one as well. And that's nearly a, a topic I'd like to even talk about is in when, as you said, you might not have got commercial success, but like one of your well-known songs would be the bitch song. Then you followed up yeah. the next album, you'd hits like Emily or uh, Girls Are the Bad Guys Want. And then... I think the next album you could have had 1985 and like almost on that as well. So like a lot of yep. kind of big singles that back in the glory days of Kerrang or MVT, MTV2, they'd be on every fourth or fifth song. How did you as mm-hmm. a band approach that period? Yeah. The big thing was not to put that pressure on ourselves. I mean, the big thing was let's enjoy this. It could all end tomorrow. 
you know, there is this pressure to have another hit or a bigger hit. And we managed to do that three times. Um, you know, we put, put out, let's do it for Johnny. And then we put out girl back or, uh, drunk enough to dance. And we had some, some great success and then even bigger success on the next record. And then, and then burrito didn't do bad. I mean, you know, it, it, we, you know, we could, we could sense, uh, you know, that the label was kind of starting to pull their hand back a smidge, you know, they were sort of starting to mm. be like, you know, I, maybe we're not, you know, you can, you can kind of feel it. The point is, the point was though, for us again, and some of my answers are going to sound very cliche, but if you go back and read the way that I've spoken, um, for the last 27 years, you'll, you'll see that it's, it's the, it's the God's honest truth. I mean, we, we really love what we do and it's always been like, Hey, as long as we're having fun, let's just ride the wave, you know, let's just see what happens and let's do what we want to do. And so, you know, that, that was really the, the, the big balance of like the whole label thing was really finding, you know, what it is like, what, you know, how do you convince them that our ideas were good to, to, to do some of the things that they thought were a good idea, but also to learn that you didn't have to say yes to everything. Um, because labels do want you to do some stupid shit because quite frankly, people are trying to explain their job away, uh, you know, and, and be like, Oh yeah, I came up with this idea. You know, and you, there's a lot of that in the record industry, a lot of credit taking for yeah. things that, you know, someone had nothing to do with. Um, but yeah, I mean, our mindset was pretty clear. It was like, dude, this is crazy. Oh, we get to do this now. And, oh shit, we get to, we're going we're going where? You know, this is awesome. And um, so we were very lucky that by the time that you know, two thousand seven, two thousand eight, nine, something like that. You know, not two thousand nine really, when we got dropped from our label after having just finished what we thought was our best album ever. Sorry for partying. Um, we never really got a chance to even promote that record. Um, you know, even to that point, we had never really, you know, everything was still just like, this is fucking yeah. awesome. Like, let's just keep doing this. Then, then, then it kind of came to where it's like, okay, you know, what's the plan now? Like, do we, do we go for it again? Or, you know, do we, or are we just done? And, uh, luckily we decided to go for it and we've been self-sufficient since and, and, uh, you know, self-financed and, and all of that. And I, you know, our, our fans are our boss and, um, you know, still enjoying it. Yeah. And, uh, as I said, it is a big thing in the UK and even here in Ireland where there are these bands that like today's maybe kids, if you're in Ireland, if you're in England, you're not going to be saying, okay, bowling for soup. But to give you a bit of context to this, me and my other 26 year old friends, we were at a house party a few weeks ago against COVID regulations, but the police can deal with that. And yeah, I throw on one of my playlists, which had 1985 on it and it starts playing mm. and you can kind of see at the table, half of the table. And I'll be bluntly honest. We're like, what, what is this? What the, this has got guitars in it. This has got <laughs> drums in it. But then there was like two or three other guys yeah. who were like, oh, I remember this. And then once the chorus comes in, it goes, everyone's singing along. Everyone's screaming at the top of their voice. And yeah. then they're like, no, 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 play the other one. The, ba- the girl all yeah. the bad guys want. Then that started playing. And before we know it, we were actually paying the guy whose phone was on the speaker to keep playing your biggest hits. And it's not like these guys <laughs> had listened to your music like I had, but they were actually just like, no, no, yeah. no, let's keep going because – 
as you said, it was that kind of feel good, easy going music that actually made you feel great. And I suppose one of the things I want to it's, ask you uh, about. You know, yeah, go on. Not, I, not, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but that's no, one good. of the things where I, you know, you, you talk about how uh, it, when I meet someone, you know, and, and they're like, what do you do? And normally I'll just try and get out of the conversation if they don't know who I am and I'll just be like, I yeah. play music. And But when someone one hears that you're a musician or an actor, they're, they're, you know, you, you've already said like something that they dreamed of at some point in their life. That's what you do. So they're interested. Um, and it's like, you know, okay, well, I'm in a band called Bowling for Soup. Oh, okay. I feel like I know that. And it's like, look, I'm not going to sit here and go down the list of songs. You know yeah. a few of my songs, even if you don't realize you know a few of my songs. Yeah. You just do. And, and it's, you know, it's that there's the luck of having, you know, seven, eight, nine hits, you know, where you're just like, really, you've been exposed to us at some point. You just may not remember. Yeah, in the subconscious. One of the questions actually that was sent in about one of your um, most decorated songs almost was, and like it is one of my favorites, by the way, as well. Absolutely adore it. Great video for it as well. Thank you. But with that song, unlike maybe some of the other ones, it's always been kind of the humor side. And they were asking, is that actually based on a true story? Because some of the lines in it would suggest maybe it would be. It isn't. Um, you know, most of, most of my songs, there's some sort of a reality to it. Um, there, it, it, it's either based upon something that really happened or, you know, something that happened to someone or, you know, uh, almost literally just sort of started with like the ridiculousness of being drunk at school at 14. And then basically mm. going from there into as bad as shit could possibly get, but <laughs> nothing ever really happens, you know? So you almost do no. this and you almost do this and you almost go to prison and you, you know, you almost, you know, all of that. And, um, I mean, he doesn't even move to LA. He's just like, you know, so where, where, you know, and he was almost, you know, everything really, that's that song, nothing happens. The the only thing that happens to that song is that he tears the note up and, um, you know, wrote a song about it, tore it up and threw it all all away, which doesn't make sense because he actually did write it. He didn't almost write it, but that's a whole nother story. I don't want to, I don't want to get myself on, on grammar shit, but. Uh, no, that one is uh, <laughs> is completely fabricated and uh, really just kind of just written around the chorus. As you were saying, like that, those songs do get recognized no matter where you go. And just to talk a bit about touring, obviously it's a massive part. And I've read members of your band, including yourself, saying like, as you even mentioned there earlier, like it's nearly the heart and soul. It's people miss if you've got a nine to five, they miss maybe going into the office and, you know, interacting with humans with you. I'm sure the buzz you get is being in front of crowds, hearing the feedback, seeing people going mad, people throwing bras up on stage, whatever. (laughs) And like, what is that like from just a touring perspective? Say you come to Europe, you're traveling all over the country, seeing different, different cultures, different receptions every night, people with different backstories when they meet you. Like, is that really the, the pomp of being in a band, is that the highlight of it? Like when you get to travel and see the looks in people's faces when you're playing their favorite songs? Um, yeah. Um, it it kind of, I mean, that's really the whole, 
why you do it thing. You know, people are like, man, touring is, you know, we talk about how boring it is all the time. It's a lot of hurry up and wait. It's a lot of, you know, breaking down or stuff not being open to eat or not having a place to take a shit. You know, it's, it's just, it's not, it's not the (laughs) most glamorous or fun life, but what keeps you doing it? Well, you know, you get an hour and a half every night where everybody's singing every single song back to you. And it's something you made up in your kitchen in your underwear and you're, and you know, here, here are these, you know, <laughs> Japanese kids singing every line to every song. I mean, we just went to South Africa about a year before the pandemic and we had never been there before and both our shows sold out and it was crazy just how they knew all of the songs and stuff. And, you know, yeah. um, I, you know, even our first trip to Ireland, I remember like we had it, we had gone to, um, to, to England and Scotland and Wales a few times, but had never actually made it over to, uh, to Ireland and, or, or to, to, um, Northern Ireland. Right. Uh, we hadn't been to either of them. And is that right? Did I say that right? Yeah. There's Ireland and Northern Ireland, right? Yeah. Northern Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. So we had never been to either of them. And, and I remember even the first time that we came there and it was just, we played this thing, uh, in Dublin for the first time we were ever in, in Ireland, uh, we, it was called the Freshers Ball, I believe. And, um, Oh, UCD Freshers Ball. Yeah. Yeah. And they, but they had it at the, uh, at the Academy. Um, and so it was, it was great fun. Just the drunkest kids ever. And, and, uh, it was a party and that's what we wanted. But yeah, I mean, quite frankly, that's the thing, you know, you, you travel for, 24 hours on a plane to go and play three shows and it all, it's all worth it. You know, the minute you start that first riff and they, and they start and that you just see the look in their eyes, you know, and they, they realize what the first song is and just, it's God, it's so magical, you know, and you watch everybody look at each other and um, it's, uh, you know, I, you hear the term better than sex all the time, man, but it's, it might be. <laughs> it might just be. May have found a winner. And with yeah. the torn side of things, I've had, I've spoken to, and I even know one or two maybe of the Irish bands, and they've told me some pretty interesting stories when maybe they toured America. Like, is there any infamous stories you have, maybe if it's not related in the American side of things, when you're in Europe or even over in Ireland, was there ever any kind of spinal tap type things or was there ever anything that <laughs> kind of stood out in the memory that final tap thing that spinal tap thing uh you know of just them going down that long hallway and never finding stage <laughs> i mean unless you're so in good. a band and have toured, if, if unless you're in a band or have been with a band and toured the uk you probably don't get that that is actually making fun of a real thing like it it, mm. it is sometimes a 20 minute freaking walk through doors and stairs and hallways and stuff to the stage because, you know, the building was built 400 years ago or whatever. And this is the maze to get to the room. That's big enough to have you guys and your catering in there. You know, it's like, this is what it is. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, you have those moments all the time and sometimes, sometimes they're funny and sometimes they take the wind out of your sail, you know, like, but, but definitely you just try to stay upbeat, but, for sure. We, you know, you, you, we've, I mean, there's little things like you, um, we got on a bus one time and 
none of our plugs worked and none of our um, adapters worked because they were like, oh, this is a German bus. And we're like, oh, sure. Why wouldn't it be a German bus? Like, what What the hell is, you know, like, you can't plug anything in and, um, and, this, and we're on this thing for two weeks, you know? But those kind of things happen, you know, quite a bit where you're just, you know, you just, ah, um, and you, you just gotta, tr- you gotta try to keep a good attitude about it. And, you know, I'm really lucky because, you know, our crew, our family, and, um, there's just kind of always somebody that finds the humor and things. And, and it's all not always the same person, you know, mm. but that can kind of lighten things up when it needs to be lightened up and that. And, um, so, uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, it, it, <laughs> that hallway thing, if you only knew if people, if the general population only <laughs> knew how accurate that is, it is so damn funny. Yeah. No, because I've played a few. I don't play in a band anymore, but I had I was in one for about two years, and I don't know if you've ever played Wheelands in Dublin, but it's like mm. a f- it's a big room to play. But the thing is, it's like four stories high for some reason backstage. Mm. So you're up in the green room, and then you have to go through two rooms. Then you have to go up these stairs to go downstairs. Yeah, and like if you take one wrong turn, or if someone's left in the toilet. It's Spinal Tap 2.0 yeah. all over again. And people are just like, where's the show? You're playing the first <laughs> song and realize the bass player's in the toilet. So it, uh, it definitely can happen. I, uh, I back you on that. And one of the things... Up some stairs, uh, up some stairs to go down some stairs is a... Uh, that is a very... Uh, that is very much something that we say all the time uh, for us being over there in your part of the country um, or your part of the world because... You know, you, you're in, if you're doing a show in wherever, let's say Sheffield, England, and you're just like, okay, the stage is just this way. And you go up these three stairs and then down a full flight and then through seven doors, back up some stairs, down some <laughs> stairs, you know, and it's like, that's not even that big of a deal. It, it can get way worse. The concept of touring or even it being in a band and especially the journey you've been on, Jared, as in you've had some great touring experiences. You've had some great hits. You've had some bad moments, like even you refer there, say when the label drops you or the uncertainty of the future of the band. And like with regards to every band, and like, as I said, I don't want to keep name dropping them, but like Mark Hoppus there said how he wrote his latest album. It was kind of spurned out of depression. He was in just this rut and the only way he could find mm. escape was by writing music, which is a lot of the time yeah. whether you're an artist or even just a normal human being, you listen to music just to maybe find that escape. So like with regards to just form that into a question, like you've openly spoken about times where, you know, it's been tough and every single human being has the good times, the bad times. Like how have you found a way to get over that hump or get out of that? Has it been true writing music, friends, family, touring? What has been the escape for you? Yeah, man, thank you for asking that question. Uh, it's an important thing to to talk about. You know, um, if, if you don't know my history, just Google it. Um, you can you can hear that I, I never intended to make mental health my cause, but unfortunately mm. um, it got me. And once it got me, I, I realized, man, if it can affect me, I'm the happiest person in the world. I even think I'm the happiest person in the world, and I'm me. I mean, but there, those around yeah. me are like, that dude's never in a bad mood. You know, I'm just not. I, I just, I am, 
I am as positive as I come across. I promise you, like this is me. But um, it got me, and it's something that I've dealt with for for a lot of years. I gained a lot of weight due to just basically just not giving a shit, not wanting to fucking get out of my bed, and and not you know, and and it's you know that. And then I gained a bunch of weight, like I said, and that made me more more depressed. And and you know, it just it's just kind of this snowball. Well, it's something that I've again I've dealt with through therapy, and I do take medication and. When this, when COVID hit, um, yeah, man, it got me real good. And I couldn't really figure out why, because I, I wasn't upset. I wasn't scared to get COVID yeah. or anything like that. Uh, what I realized was, is that I just had an empty calendar and I've never had an empty calendar before. Um, as you guys say, diary, I, my diary was empty and I've always lived from, Hey, you're home this week, this week, and then you're going to be here for three weeks. And then when you come home, you've got this. So everything's done in these spaces that you're there. Well, all of a sudden I had stuff coming off my calendar and just disappearing. And I realized, shit, I don't know what to do with myself. You know, you wake up that first Saturday and you're like, okay, well, oh, well, this is exactly like Thursday. So what I did was, is I threw (laughs) myself into playing shows online. I basically said yes to every single charity that asked me to do something, every single person friend of mine that was doing some kind of a drive or a food drive or whatever. I I did it. I started doing a bunch of shows of my own on the internet. I've done so basically between, you know, in COVID I did over a hundred shows and that was my release. Um, And I threw myself into my work, which I always do. I mean, those, anybody who keeps up with me knows I'm a really busy guy. And I, you know, if you try to keep up with everything that I do, it will probably make you anxious, but yeah, I, I wrote a Bowling for Soup record. We went and recorded it because I missed my guys. You know, I wrote a country record, which I'm actually mm. going to be tracking the vocals to next week. You know, I, I just decided, you know, hey, I'm here. And uh, and then the other thing is I got to spend time with my youngest son, you know, who, uh, you know, he's eight. And, you know, I, I have been really busy the last few years of his life. Um and uh, so, you know, and I've and I've gotten a lot of quality time with my wife, which I, we, we didn't have a shortage of that anyway. But, you know, and I've and I've gotten closer with my friends who are around here. Um, and, and, and I also, you know, I know I know my relationship better with my band than I did before this started, because I know how much we miss one another and how important it is for us to keep in contact and just even do it. We do like these little Facebook hangouts where we just get on Facebook, the four of us and yeah. just get shit faced and people watch, you know, and it's the best <laughs> I, part. I, of I, I was one of the people who watched one of them. <laughs> okay. See, but I mean like, that's like the best part of my week when we do those, like it's it, cause I really do miss them so much. And I think you can tell, right. If you're watching it, you're going, man, yeah. these guys genuinely no, love each other. Yeah. So Anyway, I was able to deal with it, and, and I've had, and, and look, I, I've had ups and downs, and I think, you know, about two months into it, one of my friends said something, and it's, it's not like a famous friend. It's just like just a general, just someone that I know on Facebook just put this sentence into the yeah. world, and I was like, thank you so much. It's just like she said, you don't have to organize the garage. You don't have to lose weight. You don't have to redo your kitchen, and you don't have to – you don't, you don't have to accomplish this and you don't have to accomplish this or change this or change this or change this. We're in a pandemic. All you have to do is survive. And I was like, holy shit. 
I mean, that just rang so, and it was like this weight, you know, for lack of a better term, lifted off of my shoulders, you know, (laughs) just like, okay, well, I'm going to breathe through this now. And it's like those things that you accomplish are bonus because she's not wrong. I mean, what million fucking people died Mm. so far, you know, it's like, this is the thing that we're living through right now. Our grandchildren will learn about this in school. Like it will literally be in history books this last year of our lives. That's a big fucking deal, you know? So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I, but I do want to say, you know, if you are having a hard time, uh, you're not alone. And I know there's a lot, man. I, you know, I, I talk to a lot of my fans, um, or people that like my music or whatever I, I do. I try to be available and man, I have so many that they've been locked in a one bedroom apartment by themselves for over a year. And, you know, so I consider myself lucky and, um, but you know, I, I just want to say to everybody, you know, you're not alone. We're going to get through this. And if you need, you know, m- make sure that you're reaching out when you need, when you need somebody, somebody's there. And if you, and if you can't find somebody, go to the BFS fan page, even if you're not a Bowling for Soup fan, Go to the Bowling for Soup fan page on Facebook and tell somebody you need to talk, and there's somebody there. Well said. And, Jared, I actually thought what you were saying there it did get me thinking. And, like, as you said, it is something that you've kind of, as you said, like you felt like you were the happiest guy in the world, and it still caught you. And I did think it is, like, worthwhile, especially since I have you on. And, like, to be honest – like my parents probably wouldn't know this so my best friends wouldn't know this because they'd look at me and be like oh this guy's the class clown these guys always laugh and kind of making the stupid jokes i remember like as in i can luckily i can count once or twice in my life i've bit the bug and felt really really shit about things and the reason i'm actually bringing this up with you is because i remember back when i was 17 family was going through a bad stage i won't you know, give you the sob story and make a Hollywood film out of it. But it was it was a tough period for me and the rest of the family. And one of the songs, and the thing is, it's similar to like maybe a Blink-182 is they've got their stupid songs, like all the small things and stuff like that. And you might have the stupid songs, but they're not stupid, like High School Never Ends, The Bitch, or I'm Gay, you name no, it. No, I feel you. I feel you. They're kind of the lighthearted songs. But the song that actually was on my playlist that when I was in bed thinking the world was against me was Turbulence. And it is one of the times where and I know the labels probably were like, okay, you've done enough of the normal songs, do a ballad. Come on. We want people to cry and stuff like that. But that song, because it was so relatable and because it was like, it was something that like use when you think of Bowling for Soup, you don't think of these ballads, this kind of folky guitar riff going in and the backing vocals. And, but the actual message of the song, it, it helped me through that period immensely. And I do think it is important yeah. just that you do know that. And as I said, you'll get credit for the high school never ends. Well, and stuff I like appreciate that. you saying that. I, I appreciate you saying that. You know, I, I, I got to tell you, there wasn't, there wasn't a label for that one. And, and, you know, I, I kind of already put my heart out there with when we die and a few other ones, but when we struck turbulence, you know, uh, that was on fishing for woos. I mean, that was our that was our album that we we got got dropped from our label in December, and we were already recording that in April. So a lot of that came from feeling like the rug had been just mm. completely pulled out from under me. And and you know, and I don't I don't look at this like a selfish thing. I feel like I have to take care of my guys, and 
and my family and their families and then our crew and their families were this this pyramid of like the amount of pressure that I felt to to deliver something that would keep this band going you know um I, I feel like that sh- that shows in some of those songs that would follow you know that time of my life up but you know I, you're not the first um to tell me that about turbulence uh but it affects me exactly the same way uh that means a lot to me and um you know i i, I that's one of those gifts you know that someone can give you where you just you don't you know just your heart just sort of brightens a little bit and it's just like god i'm 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 just thankful that you uh you know that you that you took care of yourself and you got through that time in your life well no and thank you as well jared and I don't. I don't want to finish on a bummer note. Um, not that that is bummer. It is important. <laughs> but and like that was even without a label. That album. Now, as the pandemic hopefully is gearing towards the end, like even with England, I see Leeds Festival and stuff sold out in the weekend. They're adamant it will go ahead, and especially in the UK, it seems like it will be a case where it could be seen normality by the summer or else early. Um early like November, December, and obviously you've got a UK tour planned as well. But with, say, Bowling for Soup, where mm-hmm. as you've had success, as you even said, you can be at a house party in Dublin in the piss and rain, and 1985 comes on and people kind of look around and go, I know this song. Do you still feel, do you still have the hunger and drive yeah. to say, you know what? People might think we're done as a band creatively, but do you still have that drive to say, you know what, I think we can we can strike gold, we can have that big moment again, or is it a case where, listen, we're not putting pressure on ourselves and we're just going to enjoy the ride? I just want to make great Bowling for Soup records and songs. I, I haven't had the pressure to have a hit in a very long time. Well, really since 2009, since coming off of Sorry for Partying where we legitimately thought we had five or six singles on that thing. We thought it was going to be the biggest thing we'd ever done. You know, we, I mean, even the, the people from the label who were associated with us were just like, this is a fucking no brainer. You, I mean, y'all are going to fucking explode yeah. again. And it was just happening. And coming off of something like that, it's just like, look, we don't have to do that. I mean, in fact, we don't even work radio anymore. You know, it's, it's like, we don't even try it's it's like it that's just not even a thing and of course i know like someone your age would be like yeah why would you but radio is still kind of a big deal and you know and and it can make it can make make an artist you know more popular or whatever but i I, no i don't i don't have that pressure my the only pressure i have is those that i've already converted i want to put something out that they're proud of that they can go to everybody Mm. and be like See, this fucking band has still got it, you know, like, yeah. and, and, you know, and wave it in their face. Like, oh, you thought, yeah, you know, okay, let's compare this to your favorite band's, you know, 24th album, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and see where they're at. <laughs> and, you know, so, um, and it's a good place to be, honestly, man. I think I really do feel like if this isn't our second or third best Bowling for Soup album, then I've, I've lost my mind. But, <laughs> I think people, you know, when we are going to release a new record sometimes th- sometime this year and I truly believe that people are going to be like, "Oh shit." <laughs> like this is something else. And uh, so all you can do is wait and see, but um I know I'm I'm proud of it and I'm excited to get back out there on the road and 
you know what? And we'll still be playing 1985 every night, you know? So uh, everybody, just come see us. <laughs> yeah, everybody wins in the end. And just to finish off, right. Dart, the way I end these podcasts is a bit lighthearted messing where I just do a quick fire round. So it's nothing too personal. Okay. It's nothing too incriminating. So don't worry. Some people often think, oh, hang on. Um, and if it's too incriminating, I can always edit it out, but I don't think that would be the case. So with regards to the question, the first one I had sent in was, have you ever tried Guinness? And if so, what are your thoughts? I have tried Guinness. Uh, I, I don't like it. I don't hate it. It's not the worst thing I've ever had. The problem is, is that I don't like beer. I like one brand of beer. Mm. Like I, I like Miller Lite, which you guys don't really have over there. And so I can sort of get down a few other kinds or whatever, but Guinness is a little, it, it, it's a little too heavy for me. Um, but I will say that, that it's not, it's, it doesn't taste as dark as it is. If I were mm. to give it one compliment, it's way more refreshing than it looks, but I just can't do, uh, I can't do real man's beer. I'm a chick. Yeah. Well, that's fair enough. You'll never get to experience Irish people call it the Guinness shits, where if you drink loads of Guinness, you can imagine yeah. what it looks like coming out the other side. It's not pleasant, apparently. I can only, I can only imagine. <laughs> and what is your best or favorite venue you've ever played? Oh, man. Uh, best or fa- – I mean, it, that is such a, such a crazy question because – you know, I mean, we've been around the world multiple times and, you know, we play huge festivals and small clubs and, and all of that. Um, man, best venue I've ever played. Man, I guess I got to say in the world, uh, probably, ah, shit, man, I can't. Okay. I'm going to say my favorite venue is Brixton Academy. And I can only say that because we sold out a show there last year and I, I, there, the, the intensity and the electricity, I, maybe, you know, maybe I'm just, I was just too used to where yeah. we were, <laughs> but man, it was a step up. I, I don't even know. That may be a shitty answer. I, that, that was no, a hard Brixton, question. Brixton Academy <laughs> is, it's infamous. I actually went to a gig there. It was actually Blink-182's last ever, second last ever gig. They played, they headlined Redden Festival two days later. They used it as a warm-up gig. They played there, sold it out. And that place, when it sold out, and the great thing is, like, it's it's not big enough where you could have a few dragons who don't really know your band and just kind of friends of friends who are going along. Oh, There's yeah. just that energy. It's still that intimate venue big enough to create that kind of feedback of roar and just madness. And I completely get where you're coming from. So I'm not going to dispute that claim. Um, and the next one okay. is favorite film. And I know you do your own podcasts about film. So if anyone wants to check it out, do indulge, but what is your favorite film of all time? Uh, uh, Pulp Fiction is my favorite movie ever. Good choice. Good choice. I can't really dispute that. And this is a kind of unique question, and it may take you a few seconds to decide, but what is your favorite Bowling for Soup bridge of a song? Oh, uh, 
Yeah, yeah. No. Oh, that's a fucking great question, actually. Um, okay. Um, I got this. Um, it would probably be – God, there's so many good ones. I mean like I, if you don't know this about me, Richie, I can ride a fucking bridge. You can. I'm, you can. I'm a bridge fucking rider. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, one of my favorites is Two Seater. Um, I wrote that song with my friend Zach, and he didn't remember writing it because we were so drunk. <laughs> and uh, I, I remember playing it back for him the next day, and it's just like, can you hear your radio? And the whole point is she can't hear her radio because the car has been destroyed by this guy <laughs> who, you know, was, was heart sick or whatever. Um, yeah. that's a pretty damn good one. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's, that's probably my, I guess that's probably, that, that's the first one that comes to mind anyway. Okay. And second last question is if you could have written one song by another band, what would it be and why? Huh? I, um, this is going to surprise you and I've never actually said this answer before, but Everlong by the Foo Fighters because great song that nobody ever, nobody ever gets sick of that song like that's just one of those songs where it's just like you you could literally hear it at every event you go to and you're still going okay yeah anything I ever feel is real and you're just stoked yeah. you know just makes you feel good um, so that 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 would be that'd be one because I'd want to write one it don't, wouldn't necessarily have to be the biggest hit in the world just something where people will always enjoy it yeah. No, I've been to I've been to a Foo Fighters concert when he plays that open E string, and I think it's the seventh fret on the fifth string. Everyone just immediately just kind of switches on and goes, right, we're going to enjoy the next four and a half minutes. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. And last but not least, sum yourself up in three words. Uh, myself myself up in three words. Uh. Nice freaking guy. Well, well said. Well, Jared, that pretty much concludes it. I want to thank you for taking time out. I know it's uh, been busy last few weeks, last few months by the sounds of it. And Yeah, man. Well, thanks for your patience and getting me on here, man. I know I'm, I'm hard to chase down sometimes, but I'm glad we got it done. No problem. And I just want to say on behalf of the new fans who listen to this or even the current Bowling for Soup fans, I'm excited to see what's next. I know you've got tours planned by the sounds of it. You've got a new album on the horizon as well. And as I said, mm -hmm. stay safe. Hope everything works out. And fingers crossed we get to see you back in the Academy here in Dublin, not too distant future. I hope so too, man. Take care. <laughs>